0: We're gonna look at mirrors this morning. It's probably not what you expected uh, to come in and hear the pastor say, we're gonna look at mirrors, but we're gonna look at mirrors. And and here's why, and let me give you why why we need mirrors and what mirrors are for. When I was a freshman in high school, a friend of mine, we were up at the local park by by my house playing one-on-one pickup basketball. Both went for a ball and we collided. We collided so hard, he thought I need him to his head. Actually, it was my face, not my knee. And since then, uh, I've never had this looked at, so don't, if if you've got medical expertise in here, no, I'm not trying to make a medically precise claim, but just an experience, what's happened since then is the lower inside portion of my nose, I just don't have any feeling. Now, here's what that means in terms of social awkwardness. It means very practically, if something is hanging out my nose, I don't know it. So... (laughs) You may sometimes wonder, why is pastor always touching his nose? Or what I try to do is find reflective mirror-like surfaces where I can occasionally look and make sure that I don't look like an absolute buffoon with something gross hanging out my nose because I can't feel it. My wife knows this. It'll just carte blanche. If ever that occurs, you can just say, pastor, go get a Kleenex and you won't offend me. But here's the point. Why do I look to find a reflective surface? Because I am aware that there could be an issue. And the purpose of looking at my reflection then is not just to go look at my reflection. It's to see if there's an issue and to address the issue. And that's the primary way that we, do, we use mirrors. Even if you're getting dressed and you're standing in front of the mirror, you're a guy, you're doing your tie. Why do you do your tie in front of the mirror? To make sure you did it right. But when... We simply just use mirrors to go stand in front of repeatedly and admire ourselves. We would call we would call that over infatuation vanity. Or if, if we use a mirror, we go stand in front of a mirror. I wonder if I look all ready to go today and I look at myself in the mirror and I look terrible, completely unprepared, and I walk away and completely forget what I saw. We'd call that foolishness. And it's because of that that James is going to use the imagery of mirrors as it comes to the Word of God. And so I invite you, church family, if you've got your Bible, or if you don't have your Bible, or you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take the one in the pew back in front of you. You can see the page number on the screen. And turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 21. James chapter 1, verse 21. And we're going to pick up in the final verse where we left off last week. And here's what it says. It says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness... In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. This is where we finished last week. In light of the fact that the anger of man does not bring about and produce the righteousness of God lived out in our lives, what we are to do is be slow to anger. What we are to do is to put aside all sinfulness and in humility receive the word implanted. The word implanted is that word back in. <clears throat> Verse 18, the word of truth that God delighted to use, the gospel message, his his very scriptures that he delighted to use to bring salvation, to bring us forth, to birth us as new creation. This very word which birthed us forth at moment of that birth was implanted within us and we're told to receive it. And last week we looked at that, that when it comes to what the word of God says, we, we welcome it with joy, we receive it, we delight in it, we don't get to... We don't have to follow what Scripture says. We have the joy of getting to follow what Scripture says because it's God's Word. And and all of what we're walking through in this passage is all about how you and I as believers, how do we respond rightly to the Word? That's what the overall theme of where we're at is. And so in light of, in humility receive. here's what he says, but prove yourselves, literally become and continue being, doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves, who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And once he has looked at himself and has gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently, the one who stoops down to examine with eagerness the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Here's what he says, after telling them to set aside anger, to set aside the sinfulness and re- in humility, receive the word implanted, he wants to make sure they understand by what do we mean receive the word implanted? We don't merely just mean to, to give an amen, we don't merely just mean to be a hearer, but to be a doer. And this is what he says, prove, prove yourselves to be, make sure that you are right now, and, and the emphasis in that verb then carries out that there should be a steadiness of life, prove yourselves to be. Let there be a steadiness of life wherein the pattern of your life is in conformity with the Word. Not a sporadic, hot and cold, up and down, sometimes in conformity, sometimes out, but let the pattern of your life be that which is in conformity of doing the Word. The Word, the Word of truth which reminds us that the the word of truth which births us is now implanted, it must be received by doing. And the great news that James has already established is when we were brought forth in a new birth, it says uh, in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that God changed our hearts. We're not old, we're new, and there is now the ability by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to do. The word. And this is in contrast to those who are merely hearers. Now, merely hearers specifies merely. The issue is not hearing. Hearing's vital. We'll look at that when we apply this. Hearing's vital. We have to hear. But merely hearing, and the word for hearing there is actually a word that in, in Greek culture, it would have described somebody who would come and, and listen to the teacher lecture but would not ever submit to being a disciple. Put it this way, it's somebody who is really excited to audit the class, but they haven't had to pay anything. There is no cost and they are seeking no degree to be in conformity. They just want to hear what's said. It says, don't merely be a a hearer because those who merely hear are those who deceive themselves. Those who follow a process of reasoning in their own mind that it's their own way of thinking that leads them to false. Because because they think they've heard, because they think they've heard great sermons, because they think they've heard the word read aloud, because they can quote that verse there, they think, man, that means I love Jesus and I'm following him. And he says, that is a self-deception. It's following a conclusion. It's like someone adding up two plus two and reasoning that it actually equals five those who merely hear deceive themselves. Why? Because discipleship is about a whole lot more than deceiving. But he goes further, and he begins to unpack this and begins to describe the difference between a hearer and a doer. And he said, a hearer hearer is like a person who, who looks at their natural face in the mirror. Now, know something about mirrors in this day and time. You and I are unaccustomed, when you hear mirror, we, we, we think of nice, crystal clear, perfect reflection back. Mirrors in their time were not as quality as what our mirrors are today. They might have been polished bronze, occasionally silver or, or gold, but they, they were enough, they were good enough to allow someone to go, do I have something hanging out my nose? Let me check. They were good enough for that purpose, and that's what they would have been used for. They would have been used They would have been used for a person to see and he says that someone who's just a hearer is like the one who gets a mirror, who looks at themselves, who actually takes time to stop to consider, to think about what they see in that reflection of the mirror. This is somebody who stops and goes, I've got a job interview today. Let me see how this outfit looks. And they look at themselves in the mirror. They study it. They recognize that no colors match. They recognize that the pants aren't ironed and the shirt is wrinkly. They recognize that th- their, their belt is too small because they haven't bought one since they were in, in junior high. And then they go, wow, I'm a wreck. And when they turn, they immediately, upon turning, forget all of that and think they're okay. That's what he describes. That's, that's the person who's the hearer. They look at their natural face in the mirror, and once, once they've looked at themselves, what they've considered, and gone away, they immediately forget what kind of person. This is the hearer. This is the person who comes and who walks into church and goes, man, I'm so ready for today. I, they, they sing the songs with passion they amen the sermon, and wow, preacher, preacher, good one, I'm going to tweet that out. They fill the fills, they sing the songs, they do the things, they even sense the Lord's conviction. But as soon as they get up and walk out, it's as if none of it happened in terms of their life. This is, this is what he describes the hearer, the hearer as being, but in contrast to the doer. Notice if the hearer finds a mirror and looks at themselves, the doer is one who looks intently at the perfect law. Now, break this down for a moment. It's a different word for look. If the first one means to look, to look carefully, to think about, this one's a little bit more. This is the idea of someone who stops, who stoops down, who's going to crouch down, who's going to not just notice notice that object on the ground, but is going to get close to it, to examine it with an intensity. This is someone who who with an eagerness, an eagerness and an intensity and intentionality is is gripped by what they see, and notice, what is it that they are stooped over, gripped by, and apprehended by what they see? It's not a mirror of their own reflection, but it's the perfect law of liberty. What is the perfect law? Obviously, if, if, if you're a student in Scripture, the law has tended to mean the Old Testament or more specific, that law that was given, the old covenant between God and Israel at Mount Sinai, but, but it's not that. He says it's the perfect law, and that word for perfect is the idea of something which has been brought to total completion, something which is which has completely found its in and design. So we remember that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law, was merely there to point us towards. Jesus, who came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So when we say the perfect law of liberty, we, we do not refer, we're not referring to the old old covenant law, which the New Testament actually impacts and said is a law of, of bondage, because no one's able to no one's able to fulfill it, but it points to the law of the Spirit, which Romans Eight verse 2 says this, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of the sin of sin and of death. For what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and it goes on from there. The perfect law. The law that has been completed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The gospel message. The law uh, that has been completed by Christ which every last drop of this word points to. But it's not just the perfect law, the law that's been completed. It's not just the message of Scripture and the gospel message. It's not just that, but it's the perfect law of liberty, of freedom, the law which brings freedom from bondage, from servitude, from oppression. You saw that in Romans, the law of life, that, that what the doer is doing is they are intently focused on looking at and seeing, not not looking after their own reflection and, and poorly reflected mirrors, but looking at the perfect revelation of God, the perfect law which brings freedom. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They gaze intently at that as that word both reveals who they are, where they fall short, but even more than that reveals who God is and, and how He is, is above and beyond and, and all these things. They gaze intently at that, but it's not just their gaze. They gaze at it, and as they gaze, they don't forget. But they abide. They continue in. Whereas the hearer will hear something, they may get passionate about it, they may even seem to respond to it, but there is a forgetting of what it is they heard, says the doer, that they look into intently into the perfect law of liberty and abide And the emphasis there is not on the great and mighty deeds that the doer does, but it's on the steadiness of character in everyday life. That resisting the highs and lows that come with trial and temptation, there is a steadiness of gazing at the perfect law and committing themselves to do it. And it says this doer, if they continue to look and abide not forgetting they are an effectual doer meaning that they're not just trying to do they're actually doing it and it says this man this person will be blessed in what they do and the key there of how it's constructed is not that well if i if i just observe If I just look intently and abide by the perfect law of liberty, then anything I set my mind to, I'll be blessed And That's not what it's saying. The way the construction is, is that you and I will be blessed in what we do, meaning that we are doing the perfect law of liberty. That as we gaze at the perfect law of liberty, as we abide and continue in it, as we set ourselves to be doers of the word of God, that as we do it, that is where the blessing will come. And remember, this is written to a group of believers who've been run out of their homes. They've had to scatter abroad, living as refugees, regaining livelihood and life. They are facing real and tangible injustice and economic oppression. They're they're in a church setting as we'll see in the coming weeks where partiality is rampant, where people are slandering and, and not controlling the tongue and are hurling insults and going behind and stabbing each other's backs. They are driven in their prayer gatherings not by the will of God, but by their own desires, they are a facing so many temptations in the midst of their trials. And, and, and James says, How how must you respond to the word before we even try to unpack all the specifics? Understand. You can amen my letter all day long, but if all you're doing is simply hearing and you are not willing to take it, to gaze at it, to let it to, to let the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit of God who resides within the heart of a believer to, to refine and to, to chisel you into the image of Christ. If you are not yielded to being a doer, you will not know the blessing. But just as the one who perseveres through trial, who receives the outcome of the trial is blessed, so is the one who commits themselves to doing the word of God. And church family, this is the central truth For us today. We must do the Word of God and not deceive ourselves by merely hearing the Word of God. Understand, the aim of Jesus in our lives, the purpose of discipleship in our lives is not knowledge. So we'll say, well, people perish for lack of knowledge, correct, and by knowledge what we mean is people perish for lack of the truth being in place in their lives. There are plenty of people perishing all the time who have an abundance of knowledge. The aim is not knowledge. The aim is not head knowledge. Truth is not information to be stored up, but it is a life to be lived in the real world. If the truth of God that we hear on a Sunday doesn't lead to an application on Monday, if the truth of God that you read in the morning doesn't lead to application in the afternoon, then we have missed part of the reason we come to the Word of God. Now listen, hearing is vital. Hearing is vital. In fact, if we were in this early church, we wouldn't have our own personal copies of the Word. You wanna know how you hear the Word? You come to church each night and you hear it read. Hearing's vital, but there's an irony here, in my opinion, and how James is using it, because all throughout Scripture, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God said, hear, O Israel. But every time you see hear in Scripture, it, it's not just the idea of hearing the words and applauding them, it's the idea of hearing it and submitting to it. Hearing is vital, but merely hearing is not discipleship. There are many of us who come, we love the church things, we listen to the sermon, we sing the songs, we feel the fills. we might even dare to amen something. We read all the Christian books, we listen to all the podcasts, yet we actively ignore what the Word clearly says to do. I told you, James will step on our toes. And if you can escape today without getting your toes stepped on, it either means you're a liar or you're perfect. And since Scripture says none of us in this world are perfect yet, it means, therefore, you are a liar. And by the way, that's not my opinion. That's what 1 John chapter 1 says. Unfortunately, when all we do is here, it means we soak up things like a sponge. But rather than being put to use in cleaning the dishes, we sit and we sour, and we stink. We deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves into thinking that because we hear something and affirm something, therefore we are actively following. Jesus even says this in Luke chapter 6. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You say I'm Lord, but, but you do not do. Church family, we deceive ourselves when we think we're spiritually mature because we know things, but we fail to do them. We deceive ourselves when we think we're godly because we can speak the lingo. I can say the word propitiation, can you? <laughs> we show up for things. See my offering envelope? Church attendance, all five Sundays. Wednesday night attendance, all five as well. We may even fill things. But when we do all that and we pick and choose what we will obey and what we will not, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves when we know what to say and what rituals to perform like Isaiah 58 that we saw several Wednesday nights ago. Where the people cry, they say, God, we're here. We're asking you for justice. We're asking you for just judgments. We're asking you for revival. We're here, but but you're silent. And God says, no, the issue isn't with me being silent. The issue is you're saying things, you're acting things, but you are ignoring all of the ways you are sinfully treating each other. You want me to bring revival? You want me to bring healing? You, You repent. Do what the word says. Repent of these things. Turn back, then I will bring it. Think we love Jesus because we can memorize many verses. Children in the room who are in Awanas, I'm so glad you're in Awanas. Volunteers who work in Awanas, I'm glad you're volunteering in Awanas. But understand the great danger of Awana is you can store up a whole lot of Word in your head and get a lot of bars on your shirt or vest. But the point of the Word of God is not to store it up in your head to be able to win a national championship and Bible drill. The point of the Word of God is to know Him and to live out His glory. It's a danger, church family, of coming to church, having quiet times, being in prayer, understand what it means. When James says there is a deception that comes with hearing, you and I can be steeped in all things church. We can come, we can listen, we can even be engaged in some aspects of service. We could even be teachers of the word. We could even be the pastor preaching the word saying, thus saith the Lord, you should do this church family, but I'm going to hold off. There is a true danger because we can look and think and have all of the things that are there yet at home treat our families horrifically, yet in our jobs work lazily, yet when presented with opportunities to share the gospel, keep quiet, yet in our prayer life only pray for our own little personal wish list, yet we can go on and on and on. As one pastor said, there is a great deal of difference between reading a menu and eating something from the menu. There is a difference between holding a prescription and taking the medicine, and there is a difference between reading your Bible and actually growing in grace. So understand, church family, we must be doers. And there's no simpler way for me to put this than this. What the Word says to do, we must do. I'll teach in seminary class, make sure it's application, make sure when everybody leaves they they know, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, let me tell you what you're supposed to do with the text today. Whatever the Bible commands us to do, we got to go do it. Uh, I don't know a simpler way to break that down. And if we're going to be rightly responding to the Word of God, it means doing. And understand, church family, doing is not legalistic. Legalism is is one of a few things. Legalism is when we make up rules that aren't in Scripture. God doesn't call us to do stuff that He doesn't tell us to do. You're not doing the Word of God if you don't read three chapters of your Bible every morning by seven o'clock, because David said he got up in the morning. I've read the Bible cover to cover, church family. There is not one time a day that you are commanded to not be meditating on the Word of God. So decide which time you want to read your Bible. By the way, it also didn't command you to read three chapters a day. That would be a legalism. But meditating on the Word of God, having an attitude that comes to the Word and begins to think on it and begins to apply it in our life, that's not a legalism, that's a command. Legalism is we make up things that aren't there. Legalism is when we believe that in doing what Scripture says, that's going to make God like us. Let's be clear, and this is where the perfect law of liberty comes in, there is no amount of performance that any of us could ever do to get God to like us. God likes us because He's good. God loves us because He's good. We can receive and know that love and experience that in a relationship because God responds to us in grace. And when you and I understand that, that if we have responded to, to God's offer of salvation by faith, we are sa- in faith, we are saved by grace, not by our effort. And as we walk the Christian life, as we set ourselves to be doers of the word, we don't set ourselves to be doers of the word to try to earn His love. We already have His love. You don't do the word so you can earn a seat at the table. You're already seated at the table if you're in Christ. No, we do because we are loved. We do because Jesus says, if you love me, obey my word. We do because we love him, and we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. It's legalism if we think we're made more righteous or better in God's eyes from it. But if we understand the perfect law of liberty, we'll understand that what we do has nothing to do with our righteousness. In terms of earning, it has everything to do with the righteousness we've been given. And we now have the privilege and freedom to live out. It can also be illegalism. You'll know it's illegalism when it gives way to condemnation. You sorry piece of filth as a believer. You da da The Holy Spirit's conviction is always firm. But it's never degrading. When all of a sudden the condemnation of the enemy that degrades who you are before Christ and this and that, and all of a sudden all of that starts flowing, that's when you know it's become a legalism. Doing is not legalistic, but it is an act of love. It is an act of love in which we, we look intently on the perfect law of liberty, church family. For many of us, the reason we, we don't want to do is because it's going to cost something. It's, it leads us to a place that, that maybe it, our, our fleshly desires don't want to go because there, there's a variety of reasons, but do you hear how it phrases the Word of God? That it's perfect. It's perfect. It's without fault. It's without deception. It's perfect, and, and it brings freedom. It brings freedom. The world and the enemy whisper, if you're a doer of that word, you will feel bondage because you won't get to look like everybody else. When the word of truth says, no, you want to know bondage, go look like the rest of the world. You want to know freedom, abide in my perfect word. This is the word to which we long to. And church family, we're free when we actually do what God calls us to do. That's how you know you're free. It's not freedom to do whatever we want. It's freedom to actually follow him understand church family God's word is not relative we don't get to pick and choose now how do we know for being hearers or doers let me just give you a few things that are here in the text one it says the hearer forgets while the doer the hearer forgets while the doer remembers and abides the hearer forgets the hearer forgets what he sees the hearer forgets what he's heard the hearer forgets how it impacts his life well, what do we see in here and forget we hear, oh, I should be praying for others, but then God lays someone on our heart and we forget to pray for them. We hear, I should meditate on the word of God, but then I, I fail to ever open my Bible. We hear, we amen, ooh, pastor preach a good word out of Hebrews that, that God commands us to be together as a body. Yet every time there's an opportunity to miss church for personal recreation, we do it. Ooh, scripture commands us to be faithful, to give of, of both our time and of, in fact, our finances. To be faithful to support the local church—that's what it says. Mm, but I, I, I no, no, I'll, I'll go, but I, I won't, I won't give anything. Ooh, scripture says we should be encouraging, but I'll never open my mouth. Scripture says that as a believer, I've been given spiritual gifts to serve in the body. And man, I just heard, I just heard a rousing, uh, a, a rousing testimony about needs of real service in in our local church. Amen. So glad there's needs of service. Walk out and I don't do anything. Ask any pastor you know if if that's ever happened. We forget when I stand up here and preach on passages that deal with fear and anxiety and tell you that God is sovereign and God is faithful, and here's how we respond. But then hit with that temptation and I fall prey to it and forget the response. We forget. We forget when Scripture says not to gossip, and we walk around and trash someone's reputation. We forget when Scripture says flee from sexual immorality, but we flirt with it and even give in. We forget where Scripture says put away malice and falsehood, yet we'll frequently give believers passes for the twisting of truth in the name of we want to be peacemakers." We forget things all the time, church family. That's the mark of hearers, is hearers forget, and they don't just forget, but the text says they forget immediately. Do you know part of the reason that we have an invitation right after the sermon? It's not just so people who wanna get saved or wanna join the church have a sponsor to respond. It is so that all of us, as we've been listening to the word of God and the Holy Spirit has been stirring, convicting, it is so that there is a moment of immediate opportunity to respond. It's not to be able to just go, okay, we'll sing one more song till the next thing. It's not to be able, ooh, this is the perfect opportunity for me to get out and beat the lunch crowd. That's not what the invitation is for. The invitation is for the fact that you may hear something in the word of God. God's told me that I shouldn't be be holding a grudge against that person and bad-mouthing them behind their back. And I am convicted in this sermon. And you know what? During this invitation, what I need to do, God's word says that stop laying your offering, get up and go make it right with the person. And so I get up in that invitation, and I walk across the sanctuary, and I grab that person on the shoulder and say, hey, can we step out? I need to apologize to you. That's what the invitation's for, because there is a danger when we're just hearers, not just of forgetting, but to immediately forget. And understand the irony in this passage. Nobody goes and looks at themselves in the mirror and immediately forgets. Yet, we as believers have the audacity and the absurdity to hear and applaud the Word of God and get up and immediately forget. That's what the irony is, the the punch to the gut. But in contrast to forgetting, doers remember the Word of God. They don't just remember the Word of God, they remember the truth of who He is and they act in light of who He is, regardless of the consequences or personal inconveniences. They abide in the Word, they stare at the Word, they they seek to live out the Word. They're not marked by great and mighty deeds, but by a steadfast commitment to honor the Lord by His Word in every little part of their life, especially those that no one sees. They're humble to receive the kindness of the Holy Spirit's conviction when The Spirit's convicts and says, hey, that command, you've not been obeying that. And they say, Holy Spirit, you know what? You are 100% right. I am so sorry. They respond in humility because here's the reality, church family. There's not one of us that fails to do something in the Word. And I don't say that as a discouragement. It's just the reality of all of us have blind spots, weak spots, areas where we can ignore But will we remember, or what are we forgetting? Not only that, but hearers hearers don't just forget, but they're self-focused. Did you notice that? The passage, it it hit me late last night, that hearers, what are they looking at? They're looking at their own image in in a dim mirror. They're looking at their own image in something that could give a good reflection, but may also distort, may make them look better than they actually are, right? We've all seen those fun house mirrors. Yet, did you notice the contrast to the doer? It's not that the doer looks in a good mirror. It's not that the doer looks and sees himself in a mirror and remembers. No, it's that the doer is looking at the mirror of the Word of God. The hearer is driven by a personal, what can I get out of this? The hearer is driven by, I want to have a visual stimulation, but maybe not a personal transformation. Man, I want to come in. I want to hear a great sermon. Pastor better bring it today. But it's okay if I leave here and don't actually do anything that the Word says. Or let me invert it. Man, I'm the pastor. I want to bring a great Word today. Ah, but once I'm done, I can go back to do what I want to do. Hearers are self-focused for what they can get out of it. Doers are focused on truth. They're set on truth for the sake of truth. They're eager to know the truth. They're eager to be apprehended by the truth. They're driven by love love for Christ. They're actively adoring Christ. They embrace their death with Christ on the cross and the fact that it's no longer they who live, but Christ who lives in them, the hope of glory. This is what doers set their focus and their mindset to. So church family, where is our focus? Is our focus on us, what we can get out of church, we can get out of the sermon, we can get out of Bible study, is our focus on Christ, on knowing him, on loving him, on honoring him, on proclaiming his excellencies. Hearers are distressed while doers are blessed." Jesus phrases this in this way, both in Matthew and in in Luke. He says, "'Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, but it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell and great was its fall." Church family, when we're hearers only, we set ourselves up for distress. Listen, both houses, both houses get the hurricane, they feel the wind. They, they, they feel the water, both, both of them. Listen, you, you set yourself to be a doer of the word, church family, I am not promising that you will not face temptation, discouragement, trial. Absolutely, you will face all. The difference will be when we set ourselves to be doers, that there will be a strength, the strength of God himself will, will bind our life together, that rather than facing distress, we will, we will know the blessing of sturdiness. We will know the blessing of his favor. Rather than when we just hear the word but refuse to build on it and we will suffer on collapse. We will suffer the collapse of all. Understand as doers, we're blessed with cost. It will cost us to do the word of God. And everywhere in scripture, Jesus says we're blessed if it costs us. We're blessed if we suffer for his sake. We'll be blessed to not just hear about God's favor but to know his favor. You wanna know the grace of God, the favor of God in your life? Set yourself wholeheartedly to honor the word of God in your life. Again, doesn't mean hardship won't come, but there will be the presence and power to walk with it. You want to know the freedom of God in your life? There's some of us who don't know the freedom of the law of liberty because we continue to come back to our idols and bow down in bondage. Hearers are distressed with loss when their life is one day evaluated before the Lord. Whereas doers will be blessed with reward. Listen, church family, some of us are missing out on the blessings of God in our life because we are complacently deceived into thinking that our impassioned ear service is what He's after in our life. Rather than a loving response to the greatness of who He is that looks deeply and intently into His perfect word of liberty that is apprehended by it and sets as the sturdy habit of our life to actually do what he says because it's him who says it. As a church family, what will we be? Will we be hearers? amen preach that sermon on reaching the world or will we be doers lord open those doors in my life who have you placed who is my neighbor that i can share the gospel with will we be hearers oh amen lord you're faithful or will we be doers okay lord i'm really feeling the anxiety as i'm dropping my kid off here at the school and i'm i'm, I'm just coming to you what time am i afraid i will trust in you and god who's where i place church family will we be hearers or will we be marked in the evaluation of our lives as individuals and as a church first baptist flugerville as doers I pray it's one way and not the other. Let's pray. Father, God's a real simple passage today. Find us faithful to be doers. And Lord, in this time of response, I by no means want anyone to feel manipulated into doing something. Lord, the reality is, Holy Spirit, you see each one of our hearts. God, you know those of us in the room that are saved. You know those of us in this room who have been in church all their life, who have amen things, but think that they're saved because they've come to church a whole lot and were born into a Christian family, but they have never actually trusted you. And, Lord, they're not just deceiving themselves. They are are being entirely deceived about their eternal security. God, you know those in this room who teach your word. Yet objectively, have many ways, they're not marked by your word. Lord, you know where all of us are in this room. And Father, some of the ways that we need to respond can't happen immediately in this room. Some of them can. So Holy Spirit, however you are moving, may you find us faithful to respond to you, not as hearers who immediately forget, but as doers whose hearts are filled with love for you. Jesus, may you be honored in this time. It's in your name I pray.